one of the fun things about all of our children, and Lord willing, as we continue to have more of them here at the church, what a blessing it is to see them kind of start to blossom and their personalities uh, <laughs> and sometimes their sinfulness. But what a blessing they are. Let's, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. But one thing I want to mention to you there on the announcements there in your bulletin, pastor that we're going to be praying for this Sunday may be a familiar name. Travis and Sarah Minogue there in Jackson, Ohio. Uh, I'm going to talk with him tomorrow about some things going on at the church. So he's been there almost a month. Uh, so we sent them out, and he's serving. Uh, and so I'll give a report uh, of how they're doing uh, in coming weeks. Uh, but just hopefully, be, hopefully you already have been uh, praying for them as they've been sent out. But especially now. Uh, continue to pray for them as they serve the Lord there at Emmanuel Baptist Church. So with that, let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we're grateful to be able to worship together. God, to be able to worship in spirit and in truth because of what your Son has done. God, that through His blood and through His resurrection and by Your sending of the Spirit, we are now indwelt with Your Spirit. God, enabled to worship You in the way in which You prescribed from the very beginning. Yet, Father, we're so reminded that we sin and fall even in our desire to worship You. Father, may You reorient the way in which we think about you and think of ourselves in light of who you are. Father, that you would cause us to ever be growing in Christ-likeness, that we would not be the same tomorrow as we are today, that we would not be the same on Thursday as we are on Tuesday. Father, that you would draw us into more Christ-likeness, that we would walk by your Spirit. Father, as we worship this morning, we pray that your word and your spirit would work mightily in the lives of all of those who are listening. Father, that you would remind us that the ones who we follow shape who we are. Father, that in one sense we are who we follow. So, Father, may we follow you. Father, that we would seek your will, that we would seek your desire above all else. Father, that we would follow Jesus, because unlike the shepherds of Israel and Judah who fail time after time, unlike the politicians that we may see and prescribe to, unlike all of the social media personalities that we might prescribe to, all of these people... You are different from. Father, you are perfect in holiness and wisdom. You neither sleep nor slumber. Father, you are all-knowing. You are all-sufficient. Father, may we follow you above anything else that might seek to attract us and draw us away. Father, that just as you have called your people through the prophet Zechariah to return to you 
and you will return to them. Cause us to return to you. Cause us to follow you through your Son. And Father, as we worship this morning, we rejoice in so much that you have done through our congregation. Father, we pray and we plead that you would continue a work in us as individuals, make us more like Christ, that our church would be more and more like Christ, that we would be so distinct from any other organization because we have been bought. We have been purchased, and now our lives are hidden in Christ with God. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that we have been crucified with Christ. The life we now live is Christ. Father, allow us to reach our community, that our community would be different because of the gospel a year from now than it is today, that we would meet the needs of those around us. Father, that you would allow us to meet our neighbors, that you would allow us to love them, to care for them in ways that until we have a relationship with them, we'll never know. Father, burden us for these things. And Father, as we enter into this time of worship, we pray that you would be with us, but not only us, but the other churches around us, that we would be faithfully reaching and pushing back the darkness in our community. That we would proclaim Jesus and make disciples in Eastwood and beyond so that people are transformed into Christ's likeness. And Father, that you receive the glory. That you would be exalted. So Father, as we pray this for us, we also think of Travis there at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Father, we pray that as he is a new and young pastor ministering to this congregation that's in many senses, much like ours, Father, we pray that you would give him wisdom and discernment and how he should walk and how he should lead. And Father, even from our text this morning, that you would cause him to be faithful. Father, that a righteous leader causes flourishing, but an unrighteous leader causes floundering. Father, allow and cause Travis to live righteously, to lead righteously and to see their congregation flourish. So, Father, be with us now as we enter into a time of your word. Work mightily through it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in high school, I had a Sunday school teacher that was extremely formative in my life. Uh, not only do I owe him the credit for now being able to tie a tie, I wish I would have worn a tie so that you could have known that this was verified. I tie my own ties because of this guy. Uh, he was very shaping uh, in my life as a junior in high school. And one of the most convincing things that he shared with not only me, but all of those who I grew up with in our church back home because we still recite these things to one another. Now that we're all married and starting to have kids, we keep reciting what Joe McKenzie told us. Choices and consequences. <laughs> because
because we know that choices have consequences, but especially for high school guys. You know the saying that a high school guy is stupid all alone, but he's even more stupid when he gets around other high school guys. Some might even say, I didn't think it stopped at high school. But Joe was right. Choices have consequences. We see that in our everyday life. The choices of things that we buy, the choices of things that we do, they always come with consequences. But when it comes to those in whom we follow, the leaders who are speaking into our lives, that choice brings with it eternal consequences. So, so what? Who are you following? Who are you following? Hopefully, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, Sean, I'm following Jesus. <laughs> that makes your pastor's heart happy. But on the fringes, who are you following? Who most shapes your life? The choices that you make? Are they based on what you hear on the news or from a certain social media personality? There was some research done not long ago that the impact that the Kardashians had on teenage girls through their social media platforms will be seen for decades and generations to come. Who you follow has enormous consequences. It has eternal consequences. So who are you following? In our text this morning, we'll see this very thing play out with very ruinous consequences. So with that in mind, if you would stand and let's read Zechariah chapter 10. And we'll conclude in chapter 11, verse 3. Zechariah chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds. And he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah." It will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone. From him the tent peg. From him the battle bow. From him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. And they shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their heart shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. 
and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be made low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wall of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of Jordan is ruined. May the Lord receive honor in the reading of his word. You may be seated. So there's a lot going on here. And chapters 10 and 11 kind of conclude this first message of Zechariah. This first message of Zechariah. And chapter 10 and 11 focus on this imagery of shepherds. Of shepherds. And so in our text this morning, I want us to be able to see that who you follow has eternal consequences. That who you follow has eternal consequences. You may be thinking, well, it doesn't really matter if I follow such and such news reporter, does it? Yes and no. Sure, it could cause some potentially skewed views and things like that. But if you're following that person more than you're following Jesus, then we got some problems. So who you follow has eternal consequences. And Zechariah will unfold this in three primary ways. First, we'll see that unfaithful shepherds lead to unfaithful sheep. Unfaithful shepherds lead to unfaithful sheep. Secondly, we'll see that the faithful shepherd redeems his flock. And thirdly and finally, we'll see that judgment comes to unfaithful sheep and shepherds. That a leader cannot be unfaithful and unrighteous without causing shame and the same condemnation and judgment for his sheep. So, the whole reason why I want to preach this sermon is to encourage you to follow Jesus and Him alone. As we've seen throughout our time in Zechariah, I think we all could agree that we've seen maybe more than we would have hoped to see. Visions that don't quite make sense. But we have seen this thread kind of weaved through Zechariah that points to this coming Messiah. And now we start to kind of zoom in on the microscope. We saw it in chapter 9 where Jesus, the Messiah, is prophesied. Cody mentioned it just last week in his sermon from Acts chapter 2 that when Jesus goes in and is anointed at Bethany, that the proclamation that happened 500 years before in Zechariah becomes realized. To rejoice, O daughter of Zion, your king is coming. 
They got to rejoice in that day because he was there. So last sermon we talked about, our last sermon in Zechariah rather, that Jesus being king is the best news ever. That Jesus being king is the best news ever. And so to build on that, if Jesus is king, we have to follow him. So we talked about Jesus, this proclamation in Zechariah that he's unlike any other king. That where the kings of Israel and Judah caused them to sin and to fall into exile, Jesus is going to be totally different. He's going to be righteous. He's going to be humble. He's going to bring salvation. No other king, not Saul, not David, not Solomon, none of the kings in Israel's past could do that. But Jesus could. And Jesus, at the end of chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, Zechariah gives this foretaste that he's not just going to come and rule and, and reign for himself, but that he brings flourishing for the people. That his reign blesses us. It blesses his people. That flourishing for the people comes only from the king. So now we move from king terminology to the introduction of sheep, flock, shepherd. Now from an early point in biblical history, and some might even say pre-biblical history, I want to be careful on how I say that, because the beginning, I genuinely believe, was Genesis 1.1, but as Abraham is starting as, as God's chosen people, there are other ancient Near Eastern kings that refer to themselves as shepherds, chosen shepherds of the flock of their people. It was a common reference to be able to say, I have a role and a responsibility here, and it's more than just myself. That I'm entrusted to care for. And so in light of that, in light of Jesus coming and being the king who's going to provide flourishing for his people by laying his life down for his people to bring salvation, now Zechariah says, but you haven't known that. You haven't seen that. Remember, these folks are just now coming back from exile. Their whole city is in ruin. They're trying to rebuild their temple, rekindle their worship to their God never experienced a king like Jesus. And we all could say the same thing. If we have submitted to Jesus, right? That's a hard word today in 2020. Oh my gosh, submission. That means I'm made weak. Yes, it does. But as Paul tells us in Corinthians, that in our weakness, that is when Christ is made strong. So this word to the people of Judah, this post-exilic people of Judah, is reminding them that the, the unfaithful shepherds, they're going to be judged. And I want to remind you that there's going to be a new shepherd. So place your hope on him. Follow him. 
And he starts in verse 1 through the first half of verse 3 in saying that unfaithful shepherds lead to unfaithful flocks, right? Remember, chapter 9 has just concluded with, if you follow the Lord, he's going to provide for you. Listen to what he says in verse 16 of chapter 9. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. Right? And listen to what it says about his leadership. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. This is not a tyrant king that we bow down to. This is a beautiful and glorious king who provides flourishing in the most amazing way than we can ever think. Right? Let me just get it out of the way before I get to it later. I'll probably do it both times. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel needs to be completely disregarded. That Jesus plans for you to have a Corvette and to be rich and to be healthy. That's not the Bible. So leaders who go out and say, this is what God has for you. He has for you plans that you could never imagine. Yes, that's a biblical principle, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be rich. That might mean like our brothers and sisters from centuries before, we are burnt at the stake for the glory of God. Do you think the 15th and 16th century Christians thought about the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel? So shame on the leaders who lead in that way. May we say if we're stricken with some type of a disease that takes our life, praise be the Lord. One of my favorite preachers is a guy by the name of Matt Chandler. And growing up in Oklahoma, he's a pastor in Dallas. And he was about eight, eight to ten years ago afflicted with a, a really incredible brain tumor. So for about a year or two in his ministry, he's just continuing to preach as he's going through losing his hair and continuing to preach. And he could have died. But the Lord healed him. He continues to preach. And so we must hold on to the fact that even if we are afflicted, even if we are judged, praise be the Lord. So in the face of this prosperity, in the face of this flourishing that this king is going to provide, what do they do in immediate response in chapter 10? They turn to other idols. So in the preceding verses, God is proclaiming, he's promising, he's covenanting, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to cause you to flourish. And throughout the next few verses, there's further assurance of what I will do. That is what God will do, not what I will do, but what God will do. So he says, ask, ask rain from the Lord, the God who makes the storm clouds. And he will provide. He will give them showers of rain. What does he do? He roots and grounds the efficacy, the ability of God on who he is. From before the foundation of the world, he spoke it into existence. 
So you don't turn to a household God. You don't turn to other gods. That's little g. You turn to the God who made it. I didn't go to my parents and ask if I could take Mrs. Thompson's car for a stroll. Why? Because they don't own it. Plus, it probably would have said no anyway. But we go to God, the creator, not just of the rain clouds, of everything. And he will give. But, verse 2, the household gods can't. They can't. Now remember, the sin that led the people into exile was that they have forgotten God. From the opening pages of Zechariah, the call is to return, meaning that they've gone astray. Like sheep, as Isaiah says, have all gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. So the people have placed their faith and trust in other gods, namely Baal. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Ahab, the king of Israel, turns from trusting in God. I think you'd probably say he never truly trusted in God. But he actually threw out, tried to kill all of the prophets of God and bringing in prophets of false gods. Baal was known to be a fertility God, to be able to bring rain and to also provide. So God is saying, don't turn to gods who can't hear and speak, as the psalmist says. Don't go to those who utter nonsense. Don't go to diviners who see lies and those who tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Why? Because it will lead you to wander like sheep without a shepherd. You see, because faithless shepherds lead people faithlessly, the sheep wander aimlessly. And because of this, in verse 3, God says, I will not be okay with this. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. Don't you think this resounded on the ears of those coming back from exile? Man, our, our kings, you just look at our lineage, our kings, man, they're... Pfft. Not good. Been in exile 70 years. Wonder what's next. Hopefully it can't get worse than this, right? Right? Apart from Christ, it very well would have gotten worse than that. But aren't you glad, just as I'm sure the people in this day would have been, that God does not sit back and just kind of say, man, that's too bad. That's a shame. Look at those sheep over there. They're just, there's idiot sheep. No. He's the good shepherd. He cares. He will act. 
And he realizes that he can't just send another human vessel. It had to be God to be able to lead and to shepherd them in a perfect way. But we get a double blessing in that he was both fully God and fully man, and he leads righteously. So the consequences for following false gods is that you and I will wander like sheep who are afflicted without a shepherd. So follow Jesus. Get in God's word and see what he has for you. I loved on trips when I was younger getting to be the navigator for my dad when we'd be driving different places. I had no idea where we were going, but I had a map. So he's like, where do we go? I was like, uh, yeah, that. Let's do that. Most of the time it worked out. But just imagine in my 10, 12, 11-year-old self, oh, Dad, don't worry. I've been to Orlando tons of times. I got this. No, we have what God has in store for us, His inspired Word. Do not neglect that. So God uses shepherds. He's used Abraham. He's used Moses. He's used Isaac and Jacob and David. And ultimately, He uses Jesus. But isn't it striking that God's anger is not poured out on the sheep, but on the shepherds? I bet it feels pretty comfortable sitting in the pew now, doesn't it? <laughs> it's getting a little, a little hot here. God's angry with the shepherds, the leaders. And his care is for the sheep. So you want to know, as I'm studying for this, as I'm thinking about pastoral ministry, I'm asking, Lord, are you sure? The call for me to be faithful could come with ruinous consequences if I am not. So as you think about it, throughout the week, pray for me. As I'm studying God's word, as I'm preparing sermons, as I'm trying to love my wife faithfully and not snap back at my daughter. Pray that I'd be more like Jesus, that I would help leading this congregation in a way that does not heap condemnation on myself or on you. So while his anger is hot against the shepherds, his continued care is for his flock the people whom he has chosen. And it is because of his care, his kindness, and his compassion that he redeems this wandering flock. So point number two, the faithful shepherd redeems his flock. Verses 3 through 12. Now to play on this sheep analogy, it immediately turns from sheep to what is going to happen. That because his care is on the sheep, look at the last part of verse 3. They're not going to be sheep anymore. What are they going to be? They're going to be battle steeds, majestic steeds. I hadn't planned this, but it seems fitting. I love the movie Shrek and Donkey. You just... You know, as, as, uh, in one of the movies, he kind of transforms into something else, and, you know, it's like... A we all want to be changed like donkey into a stallion. But this is what happens here. 
that no longer sheep, you're following your warrior king and you become like a steed in battle. So God's love and care and compassion, because of that, he redeems his flock. And because of that, from his own flock, from Judah, shall come one who is known as the cornerstone, the tent peg, the battle bow. New Testament writers pick up on Jesus as the cornerstone, the most important stone in the foundation. Jesus is that for us. But also, he picks up on this terminology of being a tent peg. If any of you have camped in a tent in a windstorm, you know how vital a tent peg is. Because if you don't put the tent pegs in or you don't put them in correctly, your tent and you don't end up where you started. So not only is Jesus the cornerstone, he's the tent peg in that he provides safety and security and he's the battle bow. He leads us in victory. In verse 5, he leads us in victory and we experience that under our Redeemer. In verse 6, here is what the Lord says. That he will strengthen. He will save and he will bring them back. For exilic people who have not lived in their own homes, this word brings compassion. Wait, we who are just a small people are going to be strengthened? We who were in captivity are going to be saved? We who were in nations not our own, living in homes that we did not own? You're going to bring us back? This rekindles for them the promises that God has made to them to prepare a place for them. But why is he doing this? Because he has compassion on them. Verse 6, because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. These are the tribes of Israel. The tribes the Lord is reminding them, my covenant stands. So as we get into verses 10 and 12 and, and continuing this chapter, God is going to bring them from the places that they have been sent out. Because of the judgment that he placed on them, they're scattered. But because of his covenant-keeping love, he brings them in. From Assyria, from Egypt, and he brings them to the place by which he's promised them. And not just bringing them to there until there is no more room. Until there is no more room. Let me just tell you, I pray that over the coming years, we have to put so many seats in this daggone place until there is no more room. And I hope that you're praying that too. But the Lord is bringing, He's reminding them of His covenant promises that this Messiah will traverse seas. He will 
dry up the Nile, and the pride of Assyria will be no more. The enemies of God will be completely vanquished at the feet of the Messiah. So as Zechariah is saying that Egypt will be dried up, he will tra traverse the waters, they immediately would have thought, guys, this is, this is another exodus. Just like our ancestors crossed out of Egypt through dry sea. <laughs> Isn't that an oxymoron? Dry sea. This Messiah will come and provide rescue in a second exodus. That while the enemy of God's people in exodus was Egypt and slavery to them, our exodus that we have been delivered by through our Messiah sin. That Jesus, by taking our sin on the cross, he nails our debt to it and renders our account paid in full. That if you trust in Christ, he actually does the opposite of what these shepherds are doing. These shepherds are seeking monetary gain. They're seeking, as Ezekiel 34 says, to actually shear the sheep, cut them up, cook them, and buy that money being able to buy goods for themselves. Jesus is the complete opposite. And that he comes in the form of, of man, lays himself before Pilate is crucified, dead and buried. Why? To redeem us, to redeem the people who will call on his name. He gives everything. And faithless shepherds take everything. Man, Jesus is a better shepherd. He's a better king. He's a better everything. And that ultimately what this provides is that this will be seen. That the people will see it, that their children will see it and rejoice, verse 7, and that they will walk in His name, verse 12. You see, we're not just redeemed for our own good. We're redeemed for the good of others, for the glory of God. So walk in His name. We have a faithful shepherd Walk in Him. Three quick applications before I turn to my final point. Verse 3b, as Jesus, the shepherd, is reminding them what He's going to do in the face of these foolish shepherds, it's driven by His care for the people. Trish, you need to know that He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you so much that he says, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. Because of the love of God, he sent his son to die the death for sinners. The Lord cares for you. If you go out remembering one thing about this entire sermon, the Lord cares for you so much that he sent his son for you. Secondly, the Lord keeps his promises. The Lord cares for you, and two, the Lord keeps His promises. Just read through later today, chapter 10, all of the I will, I will, they will, because I have. I will, I will, I will. God keeps His promises. 
And thirdly, the Lord keeps those who are His. The Lord keeps those who are His. Those who have been scattered, He brings them in. Think about this imagery. In verse 8, I will whistle for them. A shepherd standing on a hill. The wayward sheep all over the pasture. And he stands up on a rock with his staff. With his arms out wide. And he just whistles for them. And they come. He brings those in. I want to tell you that just as God is whistling for those in this day, He has ultimately, metaphorically whistled for us. He has shown the world His love and care for His people through Jesus Christ. Through the chief shepherd, by His outstretched arms on the cross, He brings those in to His fold. So know that you cannot come to God except through Jesus. So the Lord keeps those who are His. These three applications. The Lord cares for you. The Lord keeps His promises. And the Lord keeps those who are His. So unlike the faithless shepherds, Jesus, the good shepherd, promises His people. And what He promises, He accomplishes. Point three. Judgment comes to unfaithful sheep and shepherds. Judgment comes to unfaithful sheep and shepherds. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, gives vivid imagery of these resources that were so prioritized in that day. You think the building of the temple in Solomon's day, they used these cedars, they used these cypress trees, they used these things from Lebanon and exported them because they were of great price and value. But in this, the Lord is in this great proclamation saying, you should weep, you should wail. These things are going to be brought to nothing. Verse 3, the sound of the wail of the shepherds for their glory is ruined. This judgment is not simply for the shepherds, but it is also for the sheep. So who are you following? I mentioned at the outset that who you follow brings with it enormous and eternal consequences. Could you say without a shadow of a doubt that every decision that you make... (laughs) And every thought that you have is ruled and governed by a filter that thinks about, let's go back to 1994, what would Jesus do? I'll be honest, there are so many times where I catch myself not doing that. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, pastors are asking me an unreasonable question. I fail too. But it's not okay to just keep failing. That's called unrepentant sin. 
The call in Zechariah is the same call that we have in our daily walk with the Lord. That to follow him means to forsake our sin and to turn to Christ. We do that every day. We do that every day. So that calling on Christ for forgiveness of sins starts that relationship. We recognize that we can't do this on our own. Without him, we would just be walking aimlessly like the sheep in this passage. But it starts with realizing that to follow Christ means to forsake our sin, to trust in him that he would forgive us of our sin, knowing that he does. So then our life is continually walking with him. That we would walk in his name. That's what it means to be a Christian. To walk like him. You're going to walk like the person you follow. So if you... follow a certain personality on the news, you're going to begin to talk like them. You're going to begin to think like them. If you begin to follow a politician more than you follow Jesus, you're going to start to have a propensity to be more like that politician. Who are you following? Don't turn to these household gods. Don't turn to other created things. Turn to the God who created it all and cares for you and sent his son for you because following anybody else comes with eternal consequences. And choices have consequences. That judgment comes to the faithless sheep and the faithless shepherd. So when you follow Jesus, you're going to look like Jesus. You're going to be humble. You're going to be meek. You're going to ask for forgiveness when you've wronged somebody. You're going to seek their good and not your own. You're going to lay down your life for the good of another. So if you're not doing this, maybe you're not following Jesus. So I would ask you, take an inventory. Does my life look much like Jesus? Does it really? Right? Like, we can put on the veneer when we come into church, and we can do all those different things, but when you get home or when you get to work, does your life look like Jesus? Do you speak humbly? Do you uphold one another? Or do you curse like a sailor? What does your life look like when you're outside of this place? Because following Jesus doesn't just mean 30 minutes on Sunday morning. Or even two and a half hours on Sunday morning. Sorry, folks. (laughs) Following Jesus is a 24-7 commitment. So do you look like Jesus? Jesus. Man, I want to tell you, I hope you follow me. I felt like you do. And I want to be able to to promise to you, I'm going to do everything that I can, but I want you to also know 
cards on the table, I'm going to fail. I was thinking about it the other day. I don't know what the first thing is going to be because everything seems to be going pretty smooth right now. The decisions that I seem to be making seem to be working out. I'm going to make a bad decision. I am. But you know who won't? Jesus. I'm what is called an under-shepherd. <laughs> that if I'm faithfully following as a sheep, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, the sheep who have been entrusted to me will flourish. So don't follow me wholesale thinking, wow, Sean, wow. I know. <laughs> I could sense it in some of you. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and Him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You've given us Christ as our example, that He has redeemed us by His blood. Father, cause us to be faithful followers of Christ, that we would be more like Him each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.